It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. My takeaway last week was to look uh, into nonprofits focusing on women and maybe yeah, girls yeah. to volunteer at. You know, unfortunately, due to COVID, we're still not everything. Yeah. yeah, you still can't do that. But I did come up with one I was kind of familiar with, but that right now I can donate mm-hmm. and eventually volunteer at. It's have you heard about NCO? Mm-mm. Okay, it's Northwest Children's Outreach. Oh, okay. Yeah, they they do clothing, clothing, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. real. The Burl Basics. Our my kids' school. They're lost and found every couple months. I, they yep, take them there. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm sure a lot of, all, the a lot area. of schools do yep. that. But they've been around since 2001, and they have they have support over 450 care providing agencies, which is really cool. So what they really need like the basics, like the diapers, clothing, yeah. newborn to teen, books, shoes, formula. Hygiene products, toys. So I guess at this point I was thinking about making the little project with the girls, my two mm-hmm. girls and I, to maybe go through the list, maybe over spring break and drop a donation I off. I think that's a great idea. Last week you were talking about looking into volunteering after COVID yeah. restrictions lift and it got me curious to look into how the pandemic has affected volunteering in general. And I'm happy to report (laughs) with one survey of 2000 people, 52% of those surveyed claimed that they have volunteered for the first time during the pandemic. That's awesome. And even better than those numbers, seven out of 10 of the people surveyed said that they plan to increase their volunteer hours once they're vaccinated. What do you think that's from? I mean, well, I was reading that they're, they're seeing a huge increase in younger people volunteering due to COVID needs. They've just seen the need and particularly younger people seeing it with elderly. Okay. And then um, social injustice. But, yeah. They've wanted to make a difference. But the most common volunteer activity since the start of the pandemic, delivering food to essential workers Good was one. the top one. Volunteering to help elderly or incapacitated neighbors maintain their homes. Collecting items for food pantries, such need out yeah. there. Volunteering at a food pantry and donating blood. Oh, yeah. Those are the top ones. So I just think it's encouraging that people are looking at ways to get out there and help, even though we're hopefully at we're the close. end. We're hopefully at the end of the pandemic. But right. I was super excited with one volunteer I found named Tom Cornish. He's a 96-year-old World War II veteran from Minnesota, and he's donated 400 hats in the last year to the Salvation Army. Oh, my goodness. And he literally is weaving them with his own loom and hook. His goal was to do one hat a day to donate to the Salvation Army, but sometimes he's done two or three hats. So he's definitely very industrious. I know. He's definitely exceeded his goal. And has good eyesight. Yeah, because I I watched a video with him. And he seems like that'd be very, um, very. It's yeah. like a little round loom type of thing. It's adorable. You should just go watch. Just Google Tom Cornish. But his son said that that's why he's such a lively ninety six year old because he thinks of others first. He's not focused so much on himself. 
He's also taught other residents at his facility, Champlain Shores, how to weave. Cool. And he's very excited because one woman has made 35 hats. Oh. You know, so it's just it's just Snowballing. That's so cool. It's very cute. And he said some people have wanted to buy his hats with a little Bible verse tucked inside, but he said he won't sell them. Hmm. They're made just for those less fortunate. The Salvation Army said... This just goes to show how volunteers include all walks of life, and there's always a need. Collecting food for food pantries. I saw one story with this guy. I want to say he was in Texas, and he lost his job about a year ago due to COVID, and he was going to pick up a food box. And when he went to pick up the food box, traffic was just out of control. So he hopped out of his car and went to help with traffic. And then after that, he's gone back in the last year and just continued to volunteer. And pay it forward for people to get food. That's great. Another volunteer I found not letting COVID stop her, and I know I'm going to slaughter the name, Fionn Fua. She started an organization called Keeping Hope Alive. Oh. They spend their Sunday mornings knocking on doors in Singapore offering aid to those in need. The operation has expanded to include plumbers, hairdressers, and an array of do-gooders all just trying to make a difference. COVID hasn't stopped them. They've helped with lice removal, cleaned out extreme hordes. One man was just trying to make money with a bunch of junk, and he couldn't keep up after COVID. Obviously, he wasn't able to sell it because of germs and whatnot. And they were talking about cockroaches were everywhere. And so all these volunteers were full body, personal protection, and not letting it stop them. Fionn Fu has been volunteering for 20 years with this organization that she started. And she hasn't let anything stop her, including a hysterectomy. The woman, I kid you not, was wheelchair-bound after her hysterectomy, but she still kept working for her volunteer. She's a wonder woman. She, absolutely. She was, even in a wheelchair, she could work on wiring a fan for someone in need. But my favorite part of this organization is that they pull together anyone and everyone willing to help. And I just love how it showed how much these huge projects that can be accomplished when people work together. For sure. Last week you researched Dolly Parton and love her. I know. And you mentioned she donated to COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. Just kind of started making me think of anyone else famous that's donated to the COVID vaccines. And, and science. Bill, science. The science people. <laughs> and came, yeah, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation came to mind. They have donated over $350 million. Wow. I know. And I also was interested in reading Melinda Gates' fairly new book, The Moment of Lift. Okay. So that's brand new or? It's, I think, 2018 or 19. Okay. Because I've only seen it recently, but, you know, maybe that's a pause with COVID. Yeah. So. I have to say this book has changed me. I was so moved by this book. Almost at times brought to tears. Aww. Um, I know it's very personally written. Mm-hmm. So that the voice is very personal. And I think that Pulls has... the heartstrings. Yeah. The, it's interesting. The title of the book came from a phrase, moment of lift, from one of Melinda's favorite spiritual writers, Mark Nepo. I'm not familiar. Hmm. But he writes, something was lifted like a scarf on the wind, and his grief went silent, and he felt whole. It's very beautiful and kind of deep. deep, Very deep. Very deep. And then she was also inspired by the feeling of taking off with her children when they were young on a plane. And they would Mm -hmm. say, wheels, wheels, wheels. 
in, as anticipation. And then they would say wings, wings, wings <laughs> as a point took off. I, I just love it. That visual, it just made yeah. me think of my own children. Mm-hmm. And I could feel that Picture anticipation. Them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this leads her to our mission through the foundation is to really lift women up, which I love that. Which I love that you're talking about her bringing, you know, motherhood into this. Because yeah. you think of Bill and Melinda Gates and they're they're just so out, there, you know, compared right. to us normal people. Just can't relate. But, yeah, their parents just like the Their parents us, and know. people. But let me back up a bit, because Melinda was born in 1964 in Dallas, Texas. She went to an all-girl Catholic school, and one of her math teachers, Mrs. Bauer, went to a conference about computing and came back insisting, we need to get the girls the new Apple 11 Plus, which I... I think my sister had one of those. They're just kind of that box, the one of the first Apple computers. So the school dug deep in their pockets, and they bought five computers, I thought this is so sweet. Mrs. Bauer paid for her own coding courses to teach the students. I guess later. That's dedication. Yeah. And later she got a master's in that. So that's kind of cool too. So this sparked Melinda's interest and love of computers. She went to Duke and got a BA in computer science and an MBA. And funny thing. She'd been interning at IBM during the summers. Mm -hmm. And as she graduated, she had a job offer And she told the hiring manager of IBM that she was going to check out one other company, a small software company in Seattle called Microsoft. And the hiring manager told her if she got an offer, take it. And the rest is history. And the rest is history, (laughs) totally. I don't know, but. You know, and it's because I think the hiring manager knew she'd be able to have more opportunity, a small startup Mm -hmm. like Microsoft, even though it's huge now. Well, and IBM was huge at the time, but, and. I think women wouldn't climb. She wouldn't climb. I think she saw that in Melinda. So Melinda took the job at Microsoft, grew professionally, eventually married Bill, became the general manager of information products. And then about after seven years of working, they started a family, and she found out she was pregnant, and she decided not to go back to work, which I was really surprised to read that because she seemed like she'd be the one that, that would do both. Yeah. Did she not, like, not even going back part-time? Not no. Even... I, I think she really thought, well, one, that's what women kind of did. I think mm-hmm. she had that thought, and that she didn't think she could do both successfully. Do them all. I think it was a really difficult decision for her because she loved work. Mm-hmm. But after her daughter Jen was born, she wanted to get to share the opportunities and get involved in getting local schools computerized. And I have to say, my local elementary school up in Somerset <laughs> got computer. I mean, got that um, grant Girl. after. I mean, I'd been out of college at the time, but oh, I remember okay. visiting my parents and yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about the the grant that they had gotten from the Gates Foundation. Oh, so that's kind of cool. Yes, it's kind of local. Yeah. Kind of felt the personal impact, but. So that was the that was how the foundation was born, and the goal was to find problems that governments and markets weren't addressing, mm-hmm. and find solutions. And this led to the focus of the impact of extreme poverty, and how empowering women can play a huge role in ending it. Currently, I didn't know this. There are 750 million people in extreme poverty, and that's actually down from 1.85 billion people mm-hmm. in 1990. Mm-hmm. So that was their first initiative. Was and I think that extreme poverty, I mean, like our standards, we wouldn't even understand. We would, I don't think we could comprehend. Yeah. So their first initiative was expanding worldwide coverage of vaccines, which helped cut childhood deaths in half 
by 1990. They also realized that all deaths of children under five, nearly half of them happen in the first month of life. I know. So they're really just kind of out there. I feel like it's it's such a dichotomy from where they are. Yeah. And and what they're doing, it's just yeah. I think that's what I found so would kind of make me teary eyed. But so in two thousand and three, they funded work of Vishwat G. Kumar. He's a medical doctor with an advanced training from John Hopkins. He and his wife Artie Singh, an expert in bioinformatics, which analyzes science. I can't even. I don't even know. I know. It's like so far above my head. It's like they. they, So really smart people. Smart people. Very smart people. So they studied births in rural parts of India, the poor, the poorest of areas. Mm-hmm. The one area in particular is Uttar Pradesh. It's supposed to be like the poorest mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. They found that just immediate breastfeeding, keeping baby warm, and just using sterilized tools to cut um, the umbilical cord were life-saving, which just seems like I, obvious to sense. us, yeah. but... They you know, for them, it just those practices weren't in place. And oftentimes they were not even breastfeeding immediately. And they were having moms feed babies with water. And the water is polluted. And hmm. so their chances of survival. So no wonder they weren't yeah, making it those right. first several months. So later, um, Melinda would go back and visit this area of India. And she'd meet a young woman, Mina, who just delivered a healthy baby. And she's excited trying to share this moment like, are you are you excited you're going to have another baby, you mm-hmm. know? And the woman looked down for a while and then said no. And she felt, she, you know, she said she couldn't take care of her children. And she didn't want any more children, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and I, if you couldn't care for your children, I... I and that's what we all I'm want that, as, as parents, yeah. right? So Melinda writes that she was just honored by this woman's honesty. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of like... Her vision uh, kind of grew, and it became clear the next focus for their foundation was on family planning and on making contraceptives more accessible. That just amazes me, because you said she went to an all-Catholic school, so she obviously was raised Catholic at a time where contraception is not acceptable. Right. Well, I So I love that she's changing that. Yeah, and I think she, she, she reflects throughout the book on her own feeling fortunate that she had her that she could plan you know do right. family planning she yeah. could say i want my oldest and i'm going to wait 3 years right. and have my next one and wait 3 years and realizing that not every woman out there in the world has, has those opportunities opportunity. and it's that cycle of not being able to family plan is what keeps these people the po- in, 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 in the poverty extreme poverty level. yeah yeah, you're right. Contraception is taboo to talk about in many places in the world. Still, I know. And I'm, which is amazing because I just, I, I don't feel like we should bring unwanted children. If you can't afford, I mean, there's a difference between, you know, making sacrifices for your children and just not being able to afford to have more children. Right. Or, and that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and moms Countries having. that just can't. Having baby after baby, yeah. I mean, with maybe seven months in between, just having getting pregnant and having yeah. a baby, having a baby. So hot on their bodies, too. Right. I mean, we're talking the babies and the moms. One passage I was reading in there, she talks about when she first went, I think it was in India, seeing a five-year-old boy carrying a young infant with a wobbly head. And mom oh, wasn't around, but gosh. mom is mom is probably forced oh. back to work mm-hmm. because she needs to support the family. Yeah. 
But I find it interesting, though, that it's only been since 1960 that contraception is made legal here in the U.S. I do not buy that. I, <laughs> I looked it up because I was curious. Because she does talk oh about gosh. the history of contraception and the different... Why would it be illegal? Well, I think encourage... there was a... I think, again, it goes back to the church and judgment there and... Encouraging being promiscuous. Exactly. Whereas these, you know, these are wives that just can't afford to have more kids. Right. Exactly. She writes of a woman in Niger, uh, Sadie. She was married at 19. She had a first child. And then again, seven months later, had another or got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And she had six children by the time she was 36. Oh, my gosh. But fortunately, Sadie um, did learn about family planning. And says, when you don't learn about family planning, everyone suffers. Absolutely. I think that's what killed my grandma. I never got to meet my grandma, Teresa, because she had kids back to back. I mean, it ended up being the flu back um, in the late 50s, but child back to back to back to back. And it's hard on your body. Right. So it is definitely everyone suffers if without the family planning. Yeah. One of the programs she talks about in Kenya called Tupange, which means let's plan. Mm. So she wanted to check that out because it had some success. Mm -hmm. She met with one of the leaders of Tupange, Rose, who, as a young girl, by age 10, was helping her mother care for her eight siblings. Oh, my gosh. I mean, she's 10. That's amazing. I just I can't even wrap my head around that. No. And so she had Rose had to drop out of school. And the best thing—that's another thing that's very common, right? They don't with, yeah. get the education, yeah. so then the cycle continues. It just keeps going. And the best thing for Rose would be for the mother not to have any more children. Mm-hmm. And so they had implemented like healthcare workers. Uh, part of Trupange would come to the house and give the mom like a contraceptive, pill, you know, pill mm-hmm. and water, and then. That meant that there were no more brothers and sisters for Rose to care for. Yay! To be in charge of. But Rose went back to... Because you have to remember, they're children. They're children. children They're taking care of children. Yeah. So I mean, I love little ones, but when the the babysitters have to be, you know, they're so young and, you know... It's too much. Definitely. Fortunately, Rose went back to school. She... Even went to... Eventually made it to University of Nairobi. Wow. Became a pharmacist and now works for this program. And the cool thing, this program has made healthcare, family planning, HIV counseling mm-hmm. accessible. Now, this book talks over and over about the cycle of poverty linked to women's empowerment and the wealth and health of societies. It's just so crucial. Girls needed to be in schools. She writes that she, of a visit, foundation colleague Gary met with the young girl Sonia in Kampur in India. And these people live in trash. Just to yeah, kind of I've give you that some, visual. Yeah, I've seen some pictures. And, and he was there meeting with the village women to, to talk about family planning. Mm-hmm. When Sonia came up and said, I want to teach her. And she did this kind of repeatedly. And he continued to talk with the women. Finally, at the end of the conversation, one of the women spoke up and said, we need a school. And so Gary's team did some research. And they found that the land that Sonia lived on was not registered with the government. So it was just a non and I don't know what the word is for that, but it wasn't registered with the government, so it wasn't getting any any services. Any, oh, okay. By registering with the government, this allowed for government services like a school. So Sonia got to go to school. She got books and a uniform. So the lift yeah. was sending Sonia yeah. to school, which I just love that. 
And sending girls to school leads to higher literacy, yeah. higher wages. Which everyone wins with yes. all of this. And that's it's a exactly win-win it. for everyone. And more productive farming. It also means reducing chances of early marriages, delay in first births, and helps mothers to plan their pregnancies. Which don't you want them to be planned? So later in the book, Melinda also writes about the silent inequality between men and women and our roles both in home and professional lives. She writes openly about her growth and work to develop a partnership with Bill in their marriage and foundation, which Mm -hmm. I really love this part. She writes of having a voice and sharing the experience of her foundation together, which is really crucial in their marriage. But initially, Bill was a spokesman for the foundation, even though early on in its development, she was the primary one working on it. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And Bill was still really involved with Microsoft Mm -hmm. at the time. And she said a real huge moment for her was when Warren Buffett just was donating a large amount of his fortune to their foundation. And no pressure I, there. No pressure there. I think his <laughs> generosity really humbled them. And so they wanted yeah. to do a big announcement. They were going to do it at the New York Public Library. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time Melinda was stepping out and speaking publicly about the foundation. Mm-hmm. One At one point, you know, they had discussed about dividing up the foundation, education going to one of them, and then the other working on the health care and family planning aspect of it. To the other. Yeah. But they decided not to, and they decided to work together. Which I really love that, mm-hmm. seeing that partnership and the, the discussion and they talk. they support each other's causes. Exactly. Things that are important to each other. Yeah, I, I just, know. I thought that was really fascinating. I think that says a lot about both of them. It really does. As far as their character. And I'm just exactly. scratching the surface on this book because I got to tell you, there's a lot of examples in here. And just looking at their website, what great work their foundation is doing out there locally, you know, in the U.S. and then abroad. Mm-hmm. And I'm just amazed at hearing about Melinda's mission to help the most in need. She talks with world leaders, health professionals, the ones most affected. I love reading the when she's walking and talking or sitting with these women in these villages in India and Africa mm-hmm. and other places, that intimate just talking to getting them. Getting to know them. Getting to know them. story and stories. I think it just blows me away because she doesn't have to do any of this. Oh, I mean, no. This is just out of the kindness of her heart. This is just she wants to help the world be a better place. Right. And I think their foundation is about 20 plus years, around 20 years old. So she she's just dedicated just, yeah, to her this. Baby. Yeah. What I also like is she brings light onto areas of the world that are just overlooked. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like it's her, I believe it's from her Catholic upbringing. You know, it's the servitude, you yeah. know, is a lot of kind of part of the Catholic faith is that service yeah. to your community. And doing good to others. Doing good to others. Yeah. And I just was struck how she initially didn't want to be a public figure mm-hmm. in the foundation. And then I wonder she, if that's because she's shy. She is or, shy. Oh, okay. I think she's shy and... Well, she's obviously like brainiac with... Very uh, smart. Yeah. Very smart, but I don't think that's, you know... It doesn't transfer to... Initially. Yeah. My takeaway for this is kind of building on the other women that I've been kind of researching, Mm -hmm. like Bethany Hamilton and Kelly Clarkson. It's just... These women are Why did we only celebrate this in March? I don't know. Women. (laughs) Year round. But just the confidence, I yeah. just so admire in all these women. They're all different, and they all have different... But strong in their own ways. Exactly. So it just has really been something for me just to kind of keep moving forward mm-hmm. to what's my next step, you know, and as things open up after COVID, I'm exploring. Yeah. And, what, and not feeling like you're held back by any 
rules, but you have the choice right, to make it what it is or what you want it to be. And the last note is I really want to go up to there, the Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Discovery Center up in Seattle. Now, is that the one that's right? Is it by the Space Needle? I, it might it? be. It's like off, I think it's off Fifth. I don't know. Okay. I, I'm, it's been, all, it's it, been a while since I've been up there. But, but they have now a lot I of want exhibits. To go too. Yeah, they have a lot of exhibits. Mm-hmm. I just think it'd be a great way to learn more. It'd yeah. be a great way for me to also, with my children. Yeah. Good bonding. Yeah. With Bill Gates, this yeah. made me really definitely more impressed with Bill Gates than I was coming into this. There have been things I've read with him um, talking about genetically modified foods, and I've always had a problem. I'm like, no, right. GMO. Yeah. But with his science background, his point is that we can you know, produce more rice. We can produce bigger crops to feed the hungry right. with some genetically modified foods. He's not talking about Frankenmonster stuff, but... Rice and grains and whatnot that could withstand drought or is science helping right. feed the hungry. So I think, once again, Bill and Melinda Gates are doing a great job. Some fun facts about their home and then their kids, their children. Their house is 66,000 square feet. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of built into the ground. You know, uh-huh. it's not it's not like a freestanding home. Oh, okay. And it sits on like Lake Washington. Built- into a hill or something? Kind of built a... into the, yeah, built into okay. the hill. Hmm. 66,000 square feet. Wow. Yeah. And they call it Xanadu 2.0 based on the oh. fictional home of title character Charles Foster Kane of Citizen Kane. So just kind of a fun oh, fact there. Oh, I was thinking Xanadu from the movie. No. Now I need to look that yeah. up. Yeah. And it took seven years to build. Actually, he was building this before they got married. Okay. And so it's kind of interesting. And it has seven bedrooms, 24 baths. So a lot of bathrooms. Oh. <laughs> has, a, has a reception hall, pool with underwater music. And then when you enter, guests can register, like, your temperature, like, uh-huh. if you want it warm or cool or however. Very fancy. Your lighting, your music. Mm-hmm. I even think artwork can change. Oh. So. Wow. Where did they meet? Did they meet at Microsoft? They met or? at Microsoft. Oh, okay. Yeah. They met. They had met once. Um, like at a conference mm-hmm. and chatted and then it was a little while later they met in the parking lot and I think he, a- he asked her out on a date and he was like something like two Fridays from now do you want to go on a date and she was I think she said that's really spontaneous <laughs> so they exchanged numbers and he calls her I think that night and says do you want to go out this Friday so I think it was it's actually it was a pretty cute story but they have three kids Jen the oldest went to Stanford biology major she's now at med school at Mount Sinai and then Rory, he's following mom's footsteps. He got the BA in computer science and the okay. MBA okay. from Duke as well. Mm-hmm. And then the, the youngest one's 18. So she's like my Still oldest is age. Yeah. Figuring out what she wants to do. She's, yeah, she's um, going to the professional trial school in New York. And she's also studying ballet. Okay. So. So two of them are science fields. And yeah. The third one to be decided. To, yeah, exactly. Fun. Very fun. I first heard about this nonprofit, Breaking Cycles, from my older two's chapel last year. She was a speaker, and because of COVID, we were watching chapel at home for my kids' school on Zoom. So I got to hear her speak. The founder, Rana Mall's story just blew me away. She's one of six siblings, along with her mom. They lived on the streets and lived out of their car. And she talks even about what that felt like Mm -hmm. to be sleeping in the car. 
But they, they're from New Orleans and made their way to Portland, Oregon. I think the mom got it together and got a house for them. But by age 12, she was using drugs and on the streets. And then by age 14, she was pregnant. Oh, my gosh. At yeah, 14? At 14. And she kind of had... See the importance of Melinda Gates's... I know. and Education. It totally feeds back I'm to just that. just getting... But when she found out she was pregnant and she was just desperate, she, and she wasn't, she didn't grow up in a, you know, Christian home, but she mm-hmm. called out to God mm-hmm. just in the, in a moment, like, God, show your just existence. Just in her desperation. Yeah. yeah. At 14. Yeah. At 14. I mean, I can't believe it. And she said at that point, she just never looked back. You know, she changed her life mm-hmm. and she really wanted to raise her daughter, take care of her. So she's 14 years older than her daughter. Yeah. She had, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But the amazing thing is she now serves the youth of Portland mm-hmm. and founded this Breaking Cycles, which is a coffee shop, which is so Portland, and a bicycle shop, repair shop. Mm-hmm. So she's training kids to be baristas and fix bikes. Oh, that's awesome. That is it's, so very Portland. It's really totally Portland. And, you know, these kids are off coming off the streets. Mm-hmm. They're addicted to drugs, alcohol, homeless, oftentimes really at a young age. And, and I for love, a number of reasons. So to have just one person care for you it, that you can go in and talk and to and feel knows, loved. She knows where they're coming yeah. from. I think that's really pretty. Very important. Yeah. But I love that the floor of this coffee shop is made of 148,000 pennies. These pennies represent the youth that often are overlooked or tossed aside. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of people throw away pennies. They do. Because they feel like they're not, not worth anything. anything. Yeah. Exactly. And I have to tell you. After listening to this woman speak, the next day my son and I hopped in the car and drove over. It's over in Southeast. Okay. And so we poked our heads in the window. <laughs> we just wanted to see the penny floor. And yeah. it was pretty cool because it was closed because yeah. it was the beginning. COVID. This was the yeah. beginning of yeah. COVID. But it kind of, it left that kind of impression on us. Yeah. That you want to go check it out. Go check it out. Yeah. So Very cool. Now I want to go check out not only the penny floor, but I wonder if they're open with and serving again. Yeah. Yeah. Things opening up. Hopefully. Like and subscribe. Follow Transgential Inspiration on Facebook and Instagram.